On this episode of This Week in Linux, we've got a lot of exciting news and even some, is this really happening news? Well, yes it is, and we'll get to that in a bit. First of all, the beta for Fedora 33 with ButterFS is out now for testing. That is not, this is happening news. This is this is great news, uh, to be clear. OBS Studio has released version 26.0, and there is so much awesome stuff in this release. I just, I just love this application. We've got a, a lot of uh, updates from various different projects, including some more updates from pe- topics we previously discussed on another episode of This Week in Linux, which is the Kwin FT project. It has hit beta. Thunderbird has a new release that allows for direct upgrades. We talked about previously that it did not. And there's also a new project, uh, a campaign basically from Unity Technologies. They have announced that something is really cool called open projects that they are making which is an open source game development campaign that is very interesting we've got a lot of app releases to talk about with this week for geary email client vert manager and new two new applications that are quite interesting which are cabin a tool to create simple apps for linux with natural language programming and an app that helps you find duplicates big files empty folders and etc called this, we'll get to that in a second. It's I think it's Chikovka. Well, you'll see. And in the really this is this really happening segment, but that is happening. We are going to co- talk about it. And it is apparently Purism has decided to create their own cellular service for a phone that still doesn't exist. All that and much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 119 of This Week in Linux, a weekly Linux news podcast, a part of the Destination Linux network. I'm Michael Tunnell, and if you're new to the show, this is the show that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take on the latest topics using my over 20 years experience as a Linux user. Up next in the show, we're going to do a little bit of housekeeping, and I just want to say I am super excited about this particular piece of housekeeping, and that is the new DestinationLinux.network website is finished, and it's launched, and you can go check it out right now, destinationlinux.network. Let me know what you think. Uh, join the DLN forum and you can, you'll find a comment that's uh, pinned on the announcements about this thing and let me know what you think of the newest or also you can leave a comment in the YouTube or wherever. It's, it's fine wherever. So uh, I'm so excited and let me know what you think about it. I know that I've kind of pitched it a little bit over hype, but I think it's pretty good. So... Uh, the destinationlinux.network is also the place where you'll find the Destination Linux Network store or dlnstore.com is also a way to get to it quicker. Uh, the, it goes to the same page, but if you want to, the faster way is dlnstore.com. So, right, dlnstore.com. And we also have a bunch of other stuff that I wanted to talk about. For example, Front Page Linux is on fire right now with new content from Eric Londo and Jason Evangelo. And Eric Londo's Linux++ has been released with a new issue. And it is just so good. If you haven't seen Linux++ as a article on the page, you need to check it out because it is just fantastic. And also, there's so much more content on FrontPageLinux.com that you definitely need to go check it out. So do that right after watching this show. And also, if you'd like to, you can follow me on Twitter or Mastodon. I'll have links in the description and in the show notes, if you want to, whichever one you want to use. You can use either one of them, and you can uh, get up to date when I make changes. Like, for example, I changed the live recording time from 2 p.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, for Eastern time, by the way. 
And I also have a time zone converter that is available in the description and in the show notes that will explain it to whatever time zone you happen to be in. You can convert it to yours super easy. And there you go. So uh, if you want to keep up to date for stuff like that, I won't be changing the time that much probably ever again, or at least not for the near future. So that won't be that big of a deal to know. But at the same time, there are things that could be happening that if you were to follow me on Twitter, Mastodon, you would be informed about. So there's that. Let's get to the show. A first in the show this week is Fedora 33 beta released with ButterFS by default. So this is a beta that's available right now. It's not the release, the final release. That will be happening roughly around the end of October. So that is when you can get the stable or final release. A stable, that's a more complicated term, stable versus static. And that's anyway... I should make a video about that, but uh, for now, let's talk about the beta release that is also available in ARM and several uh, DE or Destiny variable environment variants. Words are hard sometimes. Let's continue. Linux kernel 5.8 will be reused across all of the spins for all the DEs and the ARM versions and all that stuff. ButterFS by default, to quote Matthew Miller from the Fedora Project Leader, he says that ButterFS offers some really compelling features for users, including transparent compression and copy-on-write. For those who are not aware of what copy-on-write is, it is a way to do transactional stuff where instead of making, when you make changes, it makes a new copy to when it writes it on it instead of changing the existing one, which allows you to have the rollbacks and stuff like that. It's very cool. Uh, It's a lot more complicated. That's just like the thousand foot overview of that, but roughly that's what it is. And it also supports uh, in this latest uh, version, it has uh, RAID stuff value for the ButterFS, uh, online resizing, defragmentation, lets users create both readable and writable snapshots, easy rollbacks, and more. I am super excited to play with it. I've actually downloaded Fedora KDE Spin version, and I am testing it out right now to kind of play with it and give some suggestions about like how to improve the the presentation as far as the KDE goes. Because for those who are not aware, uh, I'm I'm a big fan of KDE Plasma, though the defaults are a little bit to be desired. So I am going to be trying to help Fedora improve those defaults and. I think that there it's going to be a fantastic distribution for the people to try out if they want to because the uh, Fedora workstation is also GNOME. If you like GNOME, that's another option for you as well. And they've used the uh, they've used the extended four or the well not extended four, but they've used the extent the ext based file system since like Fedora Core One. So it's an interesting decision to make this change to ButterFS. There's so much potential for doing this, so I can't wait to try it out more. Uh, the they're actually only defaulting to the basic features of ButterFS for now. They have plans to build out the default feature set in the future releases. But for now, it's kind of like a, you know, it's the first edition. You don't want to put everything all out in the first time because that, you know, that could backfire for sure. So the Fedora 33 workstation beta includes GNOME 3.38. This is the latest version of uh, GNOME. It, it features a bunch of new features that we've already talked about on a previous episode. I'll have that linked in the show notes for those who are interested. Uh, but we're going to do a little bit of highlights. The One of the highlights for 3, 3.38 is the new Welcome Tour, which is fantastic that they have that because if you have something that seems to be different than what is expected of a user, they need to be introduced 
introduced to what those things are and having a welcome tour that kind of guides you through all of that is a fantastic idea. So good job there. Improved screen recording and also improved multi-monitor support has been done on GNOME 3.38 as well. This also changes for Fedora include using ther uh, Thermal D by default for better better thermal management. And also it's a, it's a performance thing which improves the performance for Intel CPUs. Uh, Fedora IoT is now an official Fedora edition or spin uh, geared toward edge devices on a wide variety of hardware platforms x86 and arc uh, a arch 64 which is arm based stuff including raspberry pi and pine 64 to stuff uh, based on os tree technology for safe update and rollback which is fantastic includes the platform abstraction for security which is an as is a mishmash in order for they can make the uh, acronym to be parsec it's really it's like the a of abstraction and the r of abstraction are both capitalized just so they can make it be parsec it's, it's like okay fair enough why not but this parsec is an open source initiative to provide a common api to uh, hardware security and cryptographic services in a platform agnostic way and uh, they're actually changing some other stuff with fedora a bunch of other stuff and improvements you know there's a huge list that you can check out with their announcement page i'll have a link in the show notes for all of that but i do want to say it's really nice to see that they're switching the default editor for the terminal to be nano we talked about that in the previous episode of destination linux i'll have that linked in the show notes too if you want to check it out but Fedora 33 beta is available right now if you want to check it out. Though, if you are not familiar with beta, this is a testing thing. This is a term that means that it's not officially technically ready. Uh, but Fedora betas are typically pretty good to go in terms of like beta versus release. But I just want to make it clear. They're not saying that it's available, it's ready for everyone. So just know that and keep that in mind when you do decide to try it, that it is still in beta classification. However, I'm looking really forward to trying it out more. So Fedora 33 beta, you'll have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show is OBS Studio 26.0. It has been released and there is a lot of cool stuff in this. I am such a huge fan of OBS. I use it every time I make this show. I use it for DL. I use it pretty much for everything I make on YouTube and, and uh, Odyssey now. Uh, I pretty much use it on everything because it is just so good. And also my streams are powered by OBS because OBS is amazing and this is not, they do not disappoint on their next release. So many cool things. First of all, they have a new source toolbar. It's easy access to relevant tools for the currently selected source, which is so good. Certain things that I've been wanting to do, this makes that possible. Love that. Another thing I've been wanting to do is be able to control the media playback for an individual source that happens to be a media source. That is now possible. It allows for controlling playback of media VLC sources on the source toolbar when a media source or VLC source or a slideshow source or something like that is selected, which is fantastic. There are so many times where I was like, man, it'd be really good if I could just click the play button right here and start it rather than just doing it automatically when I switched to the scene. Now that you can do that, so good. So OBS, huge fan. Anyway, next thing is noise suppression method to the noise suppression filter RN, RN noise or RNN. So it's RN noise. It's an AI-based noise suppression method which is with significantly better results for voice than the pre-existing method, which was speaks. So super excited about that. I have not tried that yet because, well, I haven't had enough time to do the testing yet. So I didn't want to risk it changing the noise compression and then like messing up the show. Uh, so 
the only thing about about using OBS to do this show and all this stuff is because I need to once new comes out, it's like it's new shiny. I want to use it, but I also have to make sure the show is ready to go. And you had to wait a little bit. It's like, oh, I don't want to wait. Anyway, OBS, fantastic. Ability to take screenshots of the previews, sources, and scenes with hotkeys has been added. A percentage toggle checkbox for the volume controls and the advanced audio properties. Love that. Uh, more audio capture support for BSD operating systems. So if you're a user of BSD, there you go. That's cool. Uh, also, they've done a lot of improvements, including uh, QSV encoder, which improved performance when running OBS on Intel GPU and simplified various options related to that. The cursor now changes to reflect the action that you're doing, such as dragging edges or uh, sources or when editing items in the preview window and stuff like that. And a bunch of other things, improved interface with transitions, dock. So much stuff is happening. It's hard to list everything there's bug fixes there's uh there's improvements there's just tons of cool stuff in obs every single new release is always just an onslaught of fantastic things and maybe i should make a video specifically about obs and talking about like what's all cool about obs why i love it so much why i use it all the time why this release is great let me know in the comments below or in the chat room the live chat for those who are not aware it's live chat every saturday at 1 p.m eastern time time zone converter in the description and the show notes as well and let me know what you think there is something that i want to tell you about obs that it's unfortunate but it is it, it's it's going to be addressed and that is a virtual camera feature has been added so you can do the output of obs into a virtual camera that you can use and other things like zoom and you know, Skype and whatnot or whatever. Uh, but the problem is, is that it only works on Windows right now. However, it will be going to Linux and Mac in the future. So I am super excited about that. We can't have it yet, but the knowing that it's coming is also fantastic because, I mean, OBS is really cool. Although you can actually do it already. It just, it's not built in to OBS for Linux. If you want to do it on Linux, there's actually tutorials of how to do it through a loopback system. If you are interested in that, I will try to find the tutorials, put that in the show notes as well. If I don't find those, sorry, but you could just, you could just look for them. I might remember to do that. I might not, you know, sorry about that, but send a comment, remind me, and I will hopefully fix it then. Anyway, OBS Studio 26.0 has been released. I'm super excited. I can't wait to use it. I currently have to wait to use it, which is annoying me, but I want to use it now. So hopefully by the time this show is done, I'll be able to do that. Anyway, links and stuff relates to this to the release notes are, are going to be in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some really awesome news from the Unity Technologies company. They announced the Open Projects, which is an open source game development campaign or a game development program. It's just really, really cool. If you're not familiar, Unity Technologies are the creators of the Unity Game Engine or Unity 3D, which is very, very cool engine. And a lot of games use it. Tons of games use it. And it's just it's just a great engine. And it's also, um, it's, it's really cool that they're doing this because what they're doing is trying to create a series of open source game development projects that people can participate in. They can, and that doesn't have to be developers. They can learn development through this project, but they can also be designers who want to create uh, design models for the characters or if they want to do music creation for the game and that sort of stuff. It's open to anyone who wants to be a part of it. It is really cool. 
And they say that the first to be announced is uh, one of the projects is that an action fi- adventure game where the character must overcome obstacles by jumping, fighting, interacting with other characters, similar things like that. Uh, they also say that they're going to be live streaming every uh, like they're doing like a progress update. So every two weeks they're going to be live streaming, which they will discuss project progress, uh, solutions for issues that they found, what to work on next. And all of these things will be uh, streamed live on their YouTube channel, uh, which is I'll have a link in the show notes for that. And there will be a public roadmap to show the progress for these campaigns, which is just so cool. I'm super happy to see that Unity is getting involved in this. It's just a fantastic idea, and I am—I I actually probably will participate in some way. I don't know how I will help build a game, but I want to get involved to find out what I can do. And yeah, if you want to do that as well, you can do so. That You don't have to be a programmer. Like I said, you could do graphics. You could do audio. If you want to do uh, level design, that's also available. There are so many things that they're making it possible to people to get involved and work on this uh, project. So when it's done, they'll even say that they're, they're producing a trailer for it and they're going to publish it for free on Steam. So in a, in a, it's also not only open source, they're also going to make it refreeable to play for anyone who wants to do it, which is really cool. They say that the goal is not to create an entire game, but a sample, a sample of one, a vertical slice, if you will. You can imagine it is a demo that, that a small indie team would use to pitch their concept to publishers or to kick off a Kickstarter campaign. And it's on GitHub right now. The collaboration also take place on a dedicated unity sub forum which i will hopefully i think i have the link for that i if i don't i'll try to find it and put that in the show notes as well uh, the, the name of the game that they're making for the first one this uh, adventure game thing they haven't chosen a name yet so maybe you could participate in helping them pick a name for it i don't know there's so many things that's so cool about this thing that unity is doing i am super excited if you want to learn more about it i have a link in the show notes below for the unity open projects Camp the open source game development campaign program thing. Links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. You can get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. So DigitalOcean is an optimi- is optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. If you don't know what that stuff is, go check out the tutorials that are on the DigitalOcean website. There's tons of great stuff that explains all these different things. And I learned a bunch of stuff based on doing the building out droplets for the quality control platform that we're working on the DLN network. And also I learned something about the floating IP system. I, when I first thought, I was like, okay, this is going to be difficult to add, add a floating IP. Turns out super simple. It's just a, a link on their dashboard. You just click it, it says, I want a floating IP and you're like enable. Okay, done. Fantastic. Super simple. Love that. Uh, DigitalOcean also has new features that are you should check out because they have the virtual private cloud, which is VPC, and that's available for all regions free of charge. And it lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads, which isolating workloads is a fantastic concept. So uh, if you haven't done that before, you probably need to do that. But check that out. You can also get all of this plus access to world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And you can use that $100 credit for all kinds of stuff like spinning up over a dozen droplets or even just monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show is some news from Purism. Well, I guess this is technically news. Purism launches Librem All Sim Cellular Service. 
So this is a $99 a month prepaid plan that gets a new phone number. I'm not sure why that is a promotional piece that says that select the desired area code during ordering. Okay, that's how numbers work. Phone number selection and phone number porting will be offered at a later date. I don't know what that means. Unlimited talk, text, and data. They say this the peak data users may be compressed to peak averages. Uh, the the LG and 4G LTE will be offered and 5G offered as it becomes available. Coverage will be for the T-Mobile and AT&T backbone. Ability to change backbone services with a, with a new SIM if you desire to do that. They will only be available for people in the United States. You can call anywhere in the world apparently, but the calls must originate from the U.S. Uh, for some reason. They say that additional reasons added sometime in the future as they become available Sure. You can buy a pre-configured Librem 5 phone, comes with a SIM, and works upon turning the phone on. And this is a, let's talk about the quote from Todd Weaver, the CEO and founder of Peerism. Librem Awesome is an awesome way to over uh, offer convenience to people who would like to get a Librem 5 that just works out of the box. It also allows for us to, cha- to fund the change around what mobile virtual network operators should function like. To be clear, a mobile virtual network operator is a very nice way of saying reseller. It's uh, also known as MVNO. MVNO. It means reseller. So they are reselling the services from AT&T and T-Mobile for this service. Now, um, let's talk about other things like they say what it solves. Cellular providers are creating unified customer identifiers matched with customer account information like name, address, billing information, unique hardware identifiers like the IMEI used to track users across multiple devices. Now, that does happen. There are there are tracking things when that happens. But um, what they're saying is that when you register the, a phone, a phone number on Awesome, you're registering in the name of Purism. You are registering the phone number. Okay, you're registering the phone number in as Purism as the name. Like Purism owns the phone number, so cellular providers can use customer cannot use customer account information for tracking by this process because they would be just tracking Purism. So you don't actually own the number, which also means you can't port your existing number. So you have to get a new one in order to use the service because if you could port the existing number, they would still know who you are and it really wouldn't help in the, the this piece. So, okay. Anyway, so it's a $99 a month prepaid plan that comes with um, unlimited talk, text, and data. You can also get a unlimited talk, text, and data a plan from T-Mobile for cheaper, basically half the price, or AT&T, again, for basically half the price. So what you could do for some reason is purchase a, a plan from this and pay twice as much for the same thing or relatively worse because they own your phone number, not you, and you can't use your existing number because reasons. So... For those who are not aware, uh, I'm not a big fan of purism. They have done things in the past that I do not necessarily agree with, but I've also tried to be as limited as possible in terms of like, you know, putting them down as a company because uh, I, I I do like what they're trying to do in terms of make an open source friendly phone. The concept of that sounds like a good thing to be happening, but They've also missed their launch date for that phone by a year and a, over a year and a half. 
And at this point, who knows when it will happen, if it will happen. I don't, I, I, I assume the phone will finally happen, but when, I, I don't know. Uh, so what they're doing is funny to me because they are announcing a new cellular service before the phone is even ready to be used. Like there's, you know, you kind of need to get stuff finished before you add new products that relate to that thing that you haven't finished yet. That's just an idea. I, I think that is a good idea to do. So at this point, it's just funny that Purism is in this position where they keep doing these things that don't really make any sense. And I no longer am worried about, you know, putting the company down because, I mean, they're doing it to themselves at this point. It's just it's just ridiculous at this point. So I, I don't know, whatever. If you were one of those people who purchased in the crowdfunding, I apologize for what you're having to deal with and the headaches that you're dealing with having to wait, you know, however long it's been over a year and a half, whenever it actually does come out. I don't know. I, I'm sorry for you. And I'm sorry for you having to deal with that. But at this point, purism has now become a joke to me because this is a service that no one asked for, that costs twice as much as the actual main carriers, and it's a reseller of those carriers, and it's for a phone that doesn't exist. So, yeah, for those who are looking for a phone that does have this, the, uh, the open source nature in mind, that does exist, it's called a Pine Phone from Pine64. It has the ability to disable the camera and the Wi-Fi and the microphone and all that stuff that, you know, the privacy respecting things as well. It's there. It's also made for Linux. It even has Powered by Linux on the back. In fact, I have one right here, Powered by Linux. That is fantastic. So for those who want something like that, check it out. That phone also cost about, I think, four times cheaper than the Librem 5, which is like $750. And this one is $200. But this one also comes with a convergence dock, which is, uh, I know I'm basically advertising this at the moment, but it's really cool. So it's a convergence dock. That is a way to have like uh, HDMI ports out so you can connect your phone to a monitor. And it's got an Ethernet jack right here. Just very cool. Anyway, if you want something that seems to be like, you know, it's a Linux-powered phone, then you get this one. Because the difference is this exists. That one does not. And they're not over, you know, extending themselves into weird degrees of trying to make their own cellular service before they even finish making the phone. And also, it costs way less. You can get like three of these for the price of one of those. So, there's that. And uh, moving on to the next topic, because this is technically news. But let's get to stuff that I actually want to talk about next. Up next in the show is a topic that I'm excited to talk about, and that is KWNFT's project hit beta releases. So the beta releases of KWNFT, Rapland, Disman, and KDisplay have hit beta releases. So KWNFT, for those who are not aware, is a compositor. It's basically a fork of KWIN or KDE's KWIN focused on better Wayland support and other modernization effects or efforts, sorry, modernization efforts. And I am so excited what they're talking about because the way they described it on their blog post when they announced it and also the stuff that they've done as far as the 
the beta goes. I'm very excited to see what they're doing here because there is a lot of potential to improve Kwin with this. And they said that uh, that they expanded on the earlier concept this earlier this year to also include Raplin and Disman and K Display because it originally started with just Kwin FT as a fork of Kwin, but now they're doing these other ones. And all of these projects from this this team on uh, are available on us as of right now for the first beta release. So a number of stability fixes include are included and also code cleanup presentation time protocol support has been added expanded exdg output support other work in advancing the goals of the k1ft effort Uh, disman and k display were forked from lib k screen and k screen uh, because you know they're the same Uh, anyway uh, completely overhauled these things and the developer of this roman gilg I might have said that wrong. Sorry. Uh, Roman says, I saw this as an opportunity to completely rethink and in every sense overhaul these in the past rather uh, lackluster and at times completely neglected components of the KDE Plasma workspace. This past negligence is rather tragic since the complaints about miserable output management in KDE Plasma go back as long as one can think. Improving this bad state of affairs has was my main motivation when I started working on LibKScreen and KScreen around two years ago. Then talking about Disman, uh, he says that Kdis or K, uh, no, yeah, Disman, sorry, uh, provides universal means for the, in- the configuration of displays with different windowing systems and Wayland compositors in better shape for low-level display management handling. Trying to be a robust display configuration system for not only for K1FT or the KDE Plasma desktop, but any system running X11 and any Wayland compositor, which sounds awesome. So Kdisplay also has changes for this. Roman says that K-Display from now on will be a husk of its former self. So I don't know exactly what that means, but it won't be as important going forward, apparently. Uh, but this is fantastic to me. I think that the work is being done on this sounds great. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential. Like I think KWIN itself is, is a great window manager and a compositor and all that stuff. But I do think that there is a, there is a lot of room to grow and room for improvements. And all the stuff that Roman has said that's what he's working on is something that I am totally behind. I'm super excited about this. And for those who are wondering why was it forked, well, changing something in an existing project that is that big and that kind of important to the project directly doesn't always work out that well. So making a fork that can be tested and worked on and then when you're ready to push it into the main project that is a better approach to me in this sense. So I like that approach as well. So for those who are wondering why I was forked, I think that's why. So yeah, if you want to learn more about K1FT and the projects and check out the beta releases, I'll have links to all this in the show notes below. Up next in the show, we're going to do an update to a previous topic that we covered in an episode. Uh, I don't remember exactly what episode it was, but I'll have a link in the show notes for those who want to check that out to get more details about the latest release of Thunderbird 78. This is actually 78.3, and there it now supports upgrades. Uh, originally, the upgrades were um, uh, automatically blocked due to, uh, unintentionally because of a revamping of the extension system. So since they went from like version 68 to 78, there was a giant difference because they rebuilt the extensions, so they no longer use the legacy uh, Mel extensions. So those were disabled. And doing an update from before now would create a problem because of the extensions might create, like whatever you have installed as an extension might cause an issue. So they decided to just not allow that upgrade to work, but they have now made that upgrade work. So if you'd like to do that, 
there you go. Go ahead and check that out. And also something to highlight in this is this latest version introduces OpenPGP as supported by default out of the box. So this is a decryption performance improvement for the like large messages. So if you were using Enigmail, you don't long, you no longer need that extension for uh, OpenPGP because now it's built directly into Thunderbird, which is fantastic. So they've improved all kinds of other stuff as well. They they improved the uh, pop up for when you're connected to a mail server with a self signed certificate. Uh, there's also improvements to the calendar sidebar UI. They move the uh, reply to header in the compose window to make it look better. Improved the dragging and dropping of recipient stuff. Uh, all kinds of stuff to improvements of the uh, spell check and, and just a ton of stuff. And they've even done like bug fixes and some uh, fixing some uh, security issues and that kind of thing. Uh, Thunderbird is a great uh, email client. Uh, I wish it looked a little better. Like it's it's a good client. It's very powerful. The functionality it has is fantastic. I'm really happy to see that OpenPGP is built in by default now. Uh, but they need to modernize their design, and uh, that would be they would basically be perfect. Once they have modernized the design of Thunderbird, it would be fantastic. Right now, it's still great, but it would be fantastic if they just had the, the UI, which would just be a little bit more modern. But anyway, if you want to check out Thunderbird, Check out Thunderbird 78.3. I'll have the release notes linked in the description uh, for the show. Well, those are called show notes. They'll be in the show notes. That's it. Up next in the show is another email client that had a, an update recently, and that is Geary. And it now supports plugins. So I'm very happy to see that because having supports for plugins, it means that you can add extra content to it and improve the value for it and not have to, you know, the developers themselves wouldn't have to be the ones that do all of it. It makes it for the community to can participate. And this is great. And the plugins are currently only available for written in Vala. However, the Python support will be added in the future, allowing users and developers to install plugins through their home, the home directory of the system, but they're going to be made for Python, which is very cool. So you just go to Geary slash preferences slash plugins, and that's where they are. And it comes by default with a few plugins, which are playing sound on email sent, creating mail templates, mail merge with CSV files, and some. And it's it's just it's really cool that they're doing this because I think Geary is a very nice looking email client. In comparison to Thunderbird, Geary is much better looking. However, I will say Thunderbird much more powerful in terms of features. A lot more features. I mean, I'm pretty sure that you still can't search for or sort your mail by unread, which is kind of important for me. So I, I kind of wish that Geary team that did the design part and the Thunderbird team that, you know, builds out Thunderbird would combine together and make an awesome Geary bird or Thunder gear or I don't know. Probably that probably doesn't work exactly in terms of like how that would make sense. But I think that they they both have a, val- a value for if you want a simplistic uh, email client that looks great, Gary is fantastic for that. If you want more powerful uh, features and you're not and you're okay with the the UI not being as modern, then Thunderbird's great too. Either one, check them out. I'll have links to both of these in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the open source password manager that I use and trust. And because I use it because it's open source and that's just fantastic. You can go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Password managers are a great way to have balance of security and convenience when using online accounts because a lot of websites want to have create an account. And if you do create an account on those websites, you need to make your password different for every single account on every single website. Because if one of those gets compromised, then if you use the same password, you're making an issue where the 
other ones might be compromised because they could just have that data. So you want to have it a different password for every single one of them. But keeping up with those passwords is admittedly a difficult thing to do. And that's where Bitwarden comes in because they have a security vault that stores all your passwords and they have a password generator to make those passwords for you. So it could just be, you know, whatever random thing that this generator spits out, that's the password, which makes it super convenient. And also they have auto filling of passwords that makes it so much easier because you don't have to type in those passwords ever. You just use the audio auto autofill and it's just fantastic. Also, it supports multiple devices, whether that's mobile, desktop, browser plugins, and even the command line. If you want to use it on the command line, you can do that as well. And Bitwarden is the password manager I use because it's open source, but not not just that. It also has security audits where they hire third-party security firms to audit their code to make sure that the code that they put out as open source is as good as they think it is, which is just amazing that they do this. And if you want to check it out, you can go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. But if you're like me, though, you want to make the smart move by getting the premium edition, which is the $10 a year premium account. That's right, $10 a year. That's it. And you get one gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, uh, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, Priority Customer Support, and so much more. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account or If you want to show your appreciation like I do, you can get the premium account for only $10 per year. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux and the Destination Linux Network. Up next in the show is Vert Manager 3.0 has been released. So you may have heard it on a previous episode of the show. We talked about how Red Hat had deprecated Vert Manager in RHEL 8 in favor of the cockpit web console for managing VMs. Now this, you know, depending on which one you prefer, uh, the you know web style or the vert manager style that's up to you however it turns out the vert manager project is still continuing and it has updated to 3.0 now this is not a huge change the number changes to 3.0 implies that it's kind of like a big major update it's not actually a major update it's just they decided to just, just give it that name or that number uh, designation when they did this update but there are some cool stuff and it really is I'm I'm very happy to see that it's still being maintained by someone, right? So, uh, simplified clone VM user interface has been added. Uh, the migrate VM UI now has an XML editor for destination VM. The new VM UI now has a manual install option, which creates a VM without any required install media. In the new VM UI, the network slash PXE install option has been removed for those who didn't who you know is not as necessary. Uh, the cloud init option for injecting user data configuration options during the first steps of a cloud image installation, which is very nice. Uh, The uh, help automate more of the setup dropping of the vert uh, convert in favor of vert V2V. And they've also added a bunch of new CLI options. And there's just, you know, I'm just super excited that vert, that vert manager has, while it was deprecated by Red Hat, it's not going away. Uh, I don't know what the, like, what the exact, like, progress of, like, how much uh, impact the team is wanting to make on this, or if they're just trying to maintain it for ex- existing usages for people who currently use it. But vert manager is a very popular tool for v- uh, VM management and for, the uh, like a lot of people like it because it is very lightweight and it still makes it a, like you have a lot of power in its uh, its usage. So that's very cool that they're keeping it. If you want to learn more about the latest release of Vert Manager 3.0, I'll have a link in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Cabin, which is a interesting application because it, it helps you make simple applications for Linux. And what's really interesting about it is the goal is to, they say that the goal for Cabin is to help a beginner programmer build simple apps for GNOME and GTK and to get them to users easily. And what really makes it 
super interesting is that the way you make these apps is natural language programming. So it's not, you're not learning a programming language. You're just kind of typing it out. Like I want the background to be a gradient and then it makes a gradient background. It's really interesting. And that kind of a thing. So if you wanted to learn programming, this is a, a, a simple way of kind of getting started and it might not be the most robust way of making an application, but it does seem like a good starting point for those who are not familiar with any kind of programming. So it's for making simple apps. Not It's not like Gnome Builder or anything like that or Cute Creator or whatever. And so it's made for making uh, simplistic applications like uh, focusing on um, you know weather type applications, uh, photograph management applications, that kind of stuff. Or if you want to make something for like managing your bills or something like that, it's that kind of thing you could do. Uh, there, they, they say that there are no provided features, nor should there be extensions for creating an app to manipulate the Wi-Fi stack. You don't need those kinds of things. They say that the cabin interface is in three parts, the code, the app, and the library. Uh, cabin apps are written in something like a very vigorous and simplified English, strongly influenced by Inform 7, which is a game programming language. And you can do a selection of widgets and features that it, they provide as options. Uh, it's it, when you once you create the application and you, you choose to output it and render it out, it compiles them into Python and GTK. So if you're wanting to do that, you kind of you can learn a way to sort of uh, kind of get gradually into the Python. It also is designed to help programmers see how those apps will work when they're compiled using GTK and Python. Now, I think this is a really cool idea that they're making it a simplistic approach to do it. This is made by uh, Stuart Language and uh, Alan Pope from Canonical. Uh, Stuart Language is not from Canonical. Alan Pope is, but they're they're making this uh, really interesting idea to make it simple for people to get started with programming and making applications. I actually had a conversation with someone recently on Telegram about uh, wanting to get started with applications, but it was so complicated to get started with all these different tools. And then I showed them this and they were like, oh, that's, you know, I could definitely get started with that and and make out like quick, small applications. And it kind of solves that problem. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, check that out. Uh, I think this is pretty cool. I would say that I hope someone else makes a, a fork of the cabin and makes one with uh, Qt instead of GTK. I think that would be very cool. Or if Cabin decides to make support for Qt built in and is in addition for the toolkit, I think that would be fantastic. But if you want to check it out, I have links to Cabin's application for creating a natural language programming app builder tool in the show notes below. Up next in the show and the last topic for today is an interesting application because one, it sounds like it has a lot of cool value for it. And also the name is interesting. There we go. So in the patron chat, we got a suggestion that this might be pronounced as Chewbacca. That is unfortunately not correct. I wish it was, but it is not. It is actually pronounced uh, Chikofka. Uh, the only the, the reason this application was named this, the developer said on Reddit that he wanted to see how people would pronounce it. So so that I didn't be completely terrible at how to pronounce it, I looked it up. I, do, I could be wrong about how I said it because I don't know how to actually pronounce it in the dialect for Polish, which, by the way, it's a Polish word. Uh, so but that's as close as I can get to it. Chikafka, there we go. It's a simple, fast, and easy-to-use alternative to FS Lint, and it's written in Rust. He says that this is my first ever project in Rust, so probably a lot of things are not going to be written in the most optimal way. But this is interesting because a lot of the things that they like, I've I've wanted to have something that solution that is kind of like FS Lint, but FS Lint is a little dated. And the developer of this application says that looking at FS Lint, it, it they say that the GUI of FS Lint allows to really easily select different files and folders. 
but it's based on old unsupported Python 2 and GDK2. And this is what inspired him to make this thing based in Rust. And he's using GDK3 in order to make the front end. Now, again, I wish it was cute, but at the same time, still cool that they're making this. So this the it's, it's basically a tool that allows you to find duplicates, uh, empty folders, temporary files, and a bunch of other stuff. And they say that in most cases, there are only a, that, that are, these are only available on uh, command line for people. So it's a hard for the average user to use this. And that's what inspired him to make this application. And I think that it's fantastic because I agree that running these commands to get it is, it is there is possible to do all this stuff, but it is not a lot nicer to have a GUI because it makes it faster and just more convenient for everybody to do. So it's written in, it's written in Rust. It has a command, a command line front end if you want to use that so that you can still do that, but it also has the GTK front end and they're working on something else, which is the OrbTK front end, which I don't, I've never heard of OrbTK, so I don't know what that is, but they say that it's an alternative GUI that will have reduced functionality, but it's currently in work in progress. So. We'll see what happens with that. It does offer a light and dark theme, which is very nice. I really like having a dark theme for most applications, so very cool. And what it allows you to do is it has a multiple tool set. So it's, it finds duplicates based on size, like the, the size of the application or the size of the file, I'm sorry, size of the file, which they say this is a fast way to finding it. However, there's also a hash t- uh, search, which is more accurate. And then they also do another where they do like the first megabyte of the hash, which is kind of like an in-between thing where it's it's fast, it's faster than the accurate, but it's also not as fast as using the size and details. So and it allows you to look at all the different things that match this search and then choose in the GUI whether to delete them or to keep them. So it doesn't just do it automatically. I mean, I think you can do it automatically if you want to do so in other tools, but in this case, probably shouldn't do it. But they have other tools available, which is like empty folder finding. So it'll be able to use an algorithm to find folders that just have nothing in them. And then you make it easier for you to delete them because why have an empty folder? So there you go. And also it able to find big files. So you it, it, uh, find provided number of biggest files in a given location. Also it'll be able to find empty files. So if you happen to have like a text file that doesn't have anything in it, it'll be able to find that as well. And it also helps you allow to find temporary files to get rid of those and to just clean up your system overall for, you know, duplicate files, files that don't need to exist, like empty folders and empty files and that sort of stuff. So very cool application. For those who are interested in checking this out, uh, I do want to give you a, a quick note. It does not have packages that are like, like it's it's very new. It's very, very new. They do provide bi- uh, pre-compiled binaries, but they don't have packages yet for basically any distribution. There, It's in the AUR because pretty much as soon as it was announced, it was put in the AUR. So if you're using Arch or Manjaro or something like that, you can get it for there. Uh, but they are working on deb packages, so that will be coming soon. Uh, if you wanted to use the binary uh, options, you can do that as well. Uh, I hope they make a snap or a flat pack or an app image or something like that that makes it available for everybody on any platform or any distro. I think that would be fantastic because there's a lot of potential for this application, and I look forward to trying it. So for those who are interested, you can check out Chikafka in the show notes below for this application. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. 
If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel and the This Week in Linux podcast, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt, the one I'm wearing right now, actually. And this is a shirt that I designed to convey the message that whether or not you know that Linux is there, it probably is. So that's why Tux is blended in in the background on the design. So Linux is Everywhere t-shirt, go check it out at the dlnstore.com. That's right, dlnstore.com. And we also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Interaccess, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Destination Linux Network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. And also, as a reminder, this show is a global show, so with people watching all around the world, which is totally amazing, and I and I realize saying that Eastern time isn't that helpful for everyone, especially people not in North America, so I provided a link to a time zone converter in the description and also in the show notes for this episode, so make it really easy for people to be able to convert it to their time zone to find out an easier way when the show starts. So again, thanks for watching, and I just want to remind you to keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source of Linux Good News.